Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. You got it. First, we gotta let you know some little facts. These ones aren't fast, though. They're just small. Don't get it twisted. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I am now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it is not appropriate for children. At the very least, we're going to say fuck like seven times. At least. Um, and that's only because it's in our contract, not because we want to. Yeah, we have to be rated R mm-hmm. to get that sweet podcast money. I am reading the New International Version of the Bible. And I'm reading the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Why is mine supposed to be international? You know what? You'd really have to go back in time and and ask Mr. Niv himself, I assume. Mr. Niv. Not to be confused with Rupert Neve, famous audio technology designer. I was confusing him with Niv Campbell. Mm. Famous audio technology designer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And sometime actress. Is there anything else we need to discuss? I don't think so. Well, then let's tell the readers, uh, the listeners, mm-hmm. what we're reading. It's like and they're reading it to. with their ears right now. <laughs> uh, podcasts. They're like uh, transcripts that you read with your ears. <laughs> they're transcripts of audio files that you read with your ears. Mm-hmm. Look, what I want to say is we're talking about the book of Second Thessalonians. That's right. It's a book from the New Testament that is everyone's favorite, I assume. Yeah, this is definitely up in the top three books that nobody wants to read. Mm -hmm. It is uh, the sequel to our last episode on 1 Thessalonians, Mm -hmm. meaning, to dive into some fast facts, that it is the second epistle or open letter by the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, which is still a major city in Greece. Now, I understand that there's a big fancy debate, you know, between the city types and the country types. I don't really know who it's between, but about the authenticity of this book, meaning was it written by Paul? Yeah. So first Thessalonians, definitely Paul. Second Thessalonians, we're not sure. Mm. Um, If it was written by Paul, it was probably written pretty soon after first Thessalonians, which would make it one of the earliest epistles. Mm hmm. Uh, if it wasn't, it was probably written, written way later, and it's probably one of the last quote-unquote epistles. Mm. I don't know. I think, I mean, we'll get into this later, but the language more or less sounds like Paul, uh, but the subject matter is not Paul's usual stuff. Mm. Is this where we talk about eschatology? Uh, yes, we're going to talk about... I hate eschatology. <laughs> no, you're thinking of scatology. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of escapology. Oh, escaping rooms? No, or anything. Oh, escaping anything. Mm-hmm. I hate that wily... past? I hate that wily Harry Houdini and all of the tricks that he played. <laughs> um, usually... It's simply not nice to play <laughs> tricks. It's unnatural, frankly. Mm-hmm. Usually, Paul is all about instructions on how to live... A uh, convoluted theology that he made up that's for some reason the basis of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how Jewish laws don't matter, but also are extremely terrible, but also don't matter. This book, Second Thessalonians, is about something he doesn't talk about a whole lot elsewhere, which is the details of the second coming. Mm. So the idea of the 
uh, a judgment day or day of the Lord was a part of Judaism from way, way back, many, many centuries. We saw it in all the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. We saw it over and over until we got sick of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this old Jewish concept was basically that at the end of time, there would be a judgment day where God would send a Messiah who would not be the son of God or anything like that, just a very holy God-appointed human. Uh, the Messiah would, you know, restore the Jewish people to glory, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, every nation would bow down to Israel, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then God would raise everybody from the dead that had died in like ever in history and sort them into the wicked and the righteous. Wicked would be punished. Righteous would be rewarded. So Paul was raised as a Pharisee which was a a sect of Judaism that existed during Jesus' time mm-hmm. that Jesus got in a lot of a lot of scuffles with. That's right. He and the Pharisees, it was a real Tom and Jerry situation. <laughs> Who was Tom? I'm sorry? Who was Tom? Uh I mean, in a way they both were More importantly, who was phone? Mhm. And one that of the was main your beliefs... meme check-in from 2007. <laughs> That meme has lived on in this household every day. <laughs> that meme is old enough to ride on a razor scooter now. Sure, why not? That meme is old enough to shave with a razor scooter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I shouldn't have laughed at that. I didn't the, mean to encourage you. One of the things <laughs> that distinguished the Pharisees from the Sadducees, which was another powerful, prominent sect of Judaism at the time, was that the Pharisees believed that the dead would literally be resurrected. Mm. And uh, the Sadducees, I guess, thought it was more figurative or just didn't believe in that at all. I'm not sure. Um, So Paul would be very familiar with this eschatology. And by the way, what eschatology means is just like stuff having to do with the end of the world. Mm. Any, any... Like your doomsday planning. Yeah, that's eschatological. Not to be confused with scatological. That's e scatological. E, yeah, it's like e poop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> e, like check out my website eschatology.com. <laughs> Please don't check that out ever. Um, should we get into chapter one? Sure. Yeah, there are three chapters in the book. Yeah, it's so. super short. Super short. The chapters are all very short, and there's only three of them. Um, starts out with the standard salutation from Paul and. In this case, Silas and Timothy, mm-hmm. which is the same in First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, standard greetings about how Christianity is awesome, and Paul can boast to everyone else about how the Thessalonians are good Christians. Um, and then he says, the reason that it's good that they're good Christians is that God will reward them and punish the wicked. Mm-hmm. And he lays it out. Not like the modern Christian idea of, you know, when you die, you immediately go to heaven or hell or like purgatory or something if you're a Catholic. Um, but rather like the older Jewish idea of Judgment Day where it's going to happen at the end of time and the Messiah will be there to make it happen. But now the Jewish Messiah isn't a regular God-appointed human. It's actually the son of God and 
he's not going to appear for the first time. He's going to appear for the second time because right. he already came and then left and now he's going to come back for some reason. Well, he, he came in, left and then came back and then left again. True. <laughs> True. Well, um, he didn't. Did he leave? Did he physically leave? Did he? Did he? Whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But just that was never part of the original Jewish idea of the messiah Messiah or like the or the day of judgment right but paul's just shoehorning it in there and acting as if it was as if it were as if it were subjunctive subjunctive tense uh subjunctive me please (laughs) your honor subjunctive (laughs) sustained (laughs) um and he says this will happen when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven Blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So, we don't see the same theology that we see in other Pauline epistles here about like, Salvation through beliefs versus acts. Right. This is not that granular a level. Right. This is adre- and so I read a bunch of these Pauline epistles in my experience as Paul or whoever is writing as Paul writing a letter or a, uh, a sermon or whatever um, to a group that has a very particular concern. And it's often trying to alleviate one concern. And it seems like this one is to people who are trying to figure out, like, how does this work in the end? Like, what's the end game of this? Uh-huh. Like, we're down with Christ. Yeah. We listened to everything that you said when uh-huh. you came and set up your church, and we're, like, totally down with you but on a personal you level. and Jesus keep talking about how the end of the world is just around the corner. Yeah, so we would like some details. Yeah. <laughs> like, you were very murky about the details, and to be honest, it's making it hard to sell to other people because people want to hear, you know. If we're all about to, like, if the world's about to end. Yeah. It would be kind of nice. Also, if you're going to commit everything, give up all your money um, and join this radical new thing, we got to give people an end game, you know, yeah. like, oh, well, it's important that you do this because at the end of the world, mm-hmm. Jesus is going to be like, yep, you did it right. Yes. And you didn't. Yes. And we know uh, because of all the cool Christian stuff that you did. <laughs> you guys can't see it, listeners, but. Nico just pumped his fist about cool Christian stuff. That's right. That's why, I mean, that, I assume that's how it feels when you're like, yeah, Christian stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's this, this passage seems to be somewhere in between the old Jewish idea. Of, in between like and love. In between uh, young and old. Uh, no longer a girl, not yet a woman. Mm, there we go. Mm. That's the metaphor that made sense to me. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's somewhere between like the old Jewish idea of the righteous and the wicked, which which has to do with like worshiping the correct God, but also has to do with like following very specific Jewish laws. Mm-hmm. But it's not quite yet a woman, mm-hmm. i.e. Paul's very detailed theology in, for example, Romans about how like following laws counts for jack shit. And here's how exactly how you get to heaven. Yeah. And you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and blah, blah, blah. As opposed to here where he's just like, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus. Dot, dot, dot. Question mark. 
Right. You know. So that's why I'm saying he's not preaching to some group of people that is influenced by a heresy of some kind. You know. Sure, sure, sure. You don't have the. He's preaching to a group of people that's like we gotta we gotta nail down some of this Just, like what the fuck some of this like later info simply what the fuck and then it was collated into the bible because like people were like oh paul you know had to answer this question at some point so look just check the book then we get to chapter two which focuses more on an antichrist figure mm. um though it's not the word antichrist is not used but it's called the lawless one yeah like the, lucy l- oh you mean like Lucy Van Pelt, when she keeps pulling that football lawlessly away from poor Charlie Brown? Uh, maybe that. I uh-huh. was thinking of Lucy Lawless. Oh, Lucy Lawless. I was th- also thinking you might mean uh, Lucy, the character on the Kendrick album. Funny how it works both ways, right? Wow. Lucy Lawless, the lawless one. It's like Jesus knew this day was coming. He almost certainly did. <laughs> he was like... These idiots are going to start a podcast, (laughs) and I'm going to tell them about Lucy. Mm -hmm. So Paul says, don't let anyone trick you into thinking Jesus has already returned and that the end of the world is already starting. Right. Because the end of the world can't start until the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose And will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Also, also, he'll work in accordance with how Satan works and uh, do fake miracles and stuff. And then when Jesus returns, Jesus is going to overthrow him. This is weird. I I agree. It's very specific about the end of the world in a way that Paul has not been been so far. like... That's a that's a specificity that I think most modern Americans, even if they're not Christian, are aware of because it comes, you know, it gets detailed later in the book of Revelation, which mm-hmm. is not by Paul. Um, but it's not something we've seen in any of these epistles so far. And I'm not sure even um, Mr. J.C., Jesus the Christ, uh-huh. was especially detailed about, you know, the end of the world is coming and there's going to be a dude. Yeah, he was always talking about the end of the world. I don't I don't remember much detail about any man of lawlessness. That, or especially he didn't say, I'll be coming back to overthrow Satan once he's taking control of the world. Did he? I don't remember. There's so much stuff in those Gospels, though. I don't remember exactly either, but I'm going to go out on a shaky-ass limb mm-hmm. and say, I don't think... He specifically said that he would be like leading the insurrection when he came back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't I don't remember a passage like that. I don't want to rule out that it was in there, but it definitely wasn't a a, a focus. Mm. Focus was like kingdom of heaven. Right. Give to the poor. Yeah. You'll get yours in the in the next life. And yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Eat eat bread, drink wine. Yeah, bread. Mm. Eat bread, drink wine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really go into any further detail than that, though. Um, It's like, okay, there's going to be this Antichrist figure uh, that Christ has to defeat. And then uh, we kind of slide back into more uh, more conventional uh, instructions. Yeah, because this seems very much like prophecy. This is this is definitely from the realm of prophecy. Yes. Which is not something that Paul 
indulges in very often. No, and in First Thessalonians, he said, you know, like, yeah, treat prophecy with some skepticism. Yeah. And there was another book where he, another epistle, where he said, like, oh, he said prophecy is better than speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. Speaking in tongues just makes you look crazy. <laughs> to outsiders, it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but his instructions are even not not typical for Paul. Um, How so? There's no emphasis on being kind or loving mm-hmm. um, or a patient or any of those things. Mm-hmm. It's just about not being idle or lazy. Um, and he says, like, you know, okay, everyone's got to work. You know, like when I was there in Thessalonica or and or when Silas and Timothy were there, whoever, you know, we worked just as hard as everyone else. We paid for our food fair and square. Even though he points out we didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> It was very clear that we, you know, we were deserving of a free ride, right. but we didn't take it. <laughs> right. Um, and, okay, so, like, the idea that everyone's, you know, everyone's got to work hard and do their fair share, that's cool. But there's this line in here that I hate that says, uh, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And this line has been used endlessly by republicans to pretend that it's christian to hate the poor and the bible says welfare is bad Mm -hmm. blah 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 which first of all i don't fully understand the cultural context you know in which in which paul was writing this you don't i thought you were (laughs) i thought you were a real podcast host (laughs) i am that's why i don't (laughs) uh I highly doubt that you can transfer it directly from the ancient Roman Empire mm-hmm. like, to modern American welfare system. Even if you could, where does Jesus say anything like that? I mean, you're acting like that's the only place that anyone has ever taken a Bible quote out of context <laughs> and used it to justify it. Well, I know, action. but this one has had like a really disproportionate use this one gets cited all the time by republicans i feel like it's a that is a defining quote of like our lifetime for example like the republicans of the 80s 90s and to yeah till today yeah like made that a tenet of their of their yeah very much so agenda but like jesus never said anything like this Mm -hmm. jesus gave away food all the time like he multiplied fishes and loaves on more than one occasion and And he he wasn't there was no like he wasn't like, work show me test. your fucking yeah. time sheet. Yeah. You know? Prove to me that you've been looking for work or yeah. whatever before you get free bread. Yeah. He said, give all your money to the poor, not fucking give all your money to people who are employed and can prove that they work 40 hours a week or, you know. So, like, even in the best case scenario, this is coming from Paul, not from Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then also, like, we don't, we're not even sure if Paul even wrote this. And you know? if he did, who cares? And also, if he did, who cares? <laughs> he but, like, wasn't Jesus Christ. And and and, even, and also if it was Jesus Christ, who cares? Because like, that's not how we should be running our government two thousand years later in a totally different country. But like, so you're saying it makes you mad? It just it grinds my little gears, baby. Oh, your tiny gears! My tiny gears. You got to be careful. The tiniest ones are the hardest to replace. And they simply I, don't make them in your size anymore. I gotta say, I'm kind of skeptical that this is Paul. Hmm. 
Are you going to wade into this controversy well, that I'm sure many other more qualified <laughs> yeah. people have already waded into? Yep, I'm gonna. Because I'm going to say there's not a single mention of circumcision in this book. Mm. Does that seem like Paul to you? He's left his favorite bugbear behind. And you would think if he were, I mean, even in a round, in a brief roundup, if he were running down his list of instructions or things to watch out for, he's got to have that little mushroom tip on the mind. <laughs> in here did is it translated the same in yours it says like um we hear that people are not being busy but busy bodies uh i and i was like that's a cute pun but like i don't think that works in ancient greek i don't know (laughs) i didn't see that one no um i did notice another strange translation in mine though where it said, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits. All one word. It's always one word in the Bible. Really? Yeah. I've never noticed that before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Oh, first fruit. In all the in all the Torah instructions about what can be sacrificed and stuff, it's always first fruit, one word. Wow. Sweet. I had never noticed that before. It's a closed compound. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Chicago closes. Okay, I'm getting off track here. We need to take a break. That's right. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. We got a very special guest coming up. We're going to have a little conversation about the Bible. I mean, which is going to shock all of you, I'm sure. <laughs> For the first time on this podcast, mm-hmm. a conversation about the Bible. But you're going to hear a little music, and then we'll be right back with more Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. And I'm Lauren. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we were talking about the book of Second Thessalonians, but now we're going to continue to do so with the first special guest. <laughs> um, our guest this week is an assistant teaching professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at North Carolina State University. He got his PhD from UNC Chapel Hill, where he wrote a dissertation titled Reconstructing Israel, Restoration Eschatology in Early Judaism and Paul's Gentile Mission. And he also uh, coaches a bunch of sports and hosts two podcasts, the Unconquered Podcasts about sports at Florida State. And uh, he co-hosts Books of Titans, where they read one book per week, not unlike the podcast you are listening to now. Jason Staples, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you. Hi, Jason. 
Thanks so much for joining us. Now, what we're all curious to talk about is sports. <laughs> now, everybody right. knows that sports are a huge part of the Sunday School Dropout's branding <laughs> and experience. Like the one time I tried to think of a single basketball metaphor and couldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, we are here to talk oh. about. <laughs> we are here to talk about Bible. Okay, Bible. Um, first, Jason, we will ask you, as we ask all of our guests, what is your religious background? So my religious background, I come from a Christian perspective, uh, and that's probably about as much as I can I can give you without uh, more leading questions from there. But uh, uh, I was raised uh, in a from a Christian perspective and have more or less uh, uh, with some uh, growth and adjustment over time. Uh, still, I still uh, consider myself a Christian in that respect. Got it. So your PhD dissertation is about Paul's eschatology. Can you sum it up for us in a few sentences? Like, can you give us the elevator pitch? <laughs> yeah, the elevator pitch is pretty simple, um, but you do have to know a little bit about the Bible for the elevator pitch to make as much sense as it, uh, as it could. So I'll give... Uh, Luckily, I know the, a little uh, bit about the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give the Empire State elevator, mm. Empire State Building elevator version of... Uh, Maybe not the Burj Khalifa. Uh, uh, <laughs> Being there for days. But, uh, yeah. So um, basically what my what my dissertation does is it looks at, uh, it's trying to solve the problem of of how you get from Jesus' early, early Jewish movement to a Gentile movement with Paul uh, and why Paul does what he does in going to the Gentiles and then at the same time claims that he's proclaiming Israel's restoration in certain spots and says, you know, in Romans 11, 26, and thus all Israel will be saved. And you go, wait, but you've been talking all along about how like the Gentiles coming in and, you know, everybody's under the, you know, everybody's under the same, uh, in the same fix now. Like, how can you make that shift? And so I'm, uh, my, my dissertation is trying to solve that problem. Uh, and essentially what I do in order to, uh, to address that is uh, I start by looking at the concept of Israel in the second temple period and how uh, various Jewish groups and, and also Samaritan groups and others are competing over the identity of who it, of what it is to be the heirs of biblical Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically the, the, the central case that I make is that when you read, uh, when you read this material, when you look at all of the evidence from the second temple period, it, one thing is very clear is that they, when they say Israel, they don't mean Jews. Hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're different terms and they're used differently to, to denote different groups. Uh, and essentially, uh, I, I, I argue that the, that the distinction goes back to the old Testament distinction between Israel as a 12 tribe, uh, a group of, uh, well, a group of 12 tribes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that included, uh, the, the group that became the 10 Northern tribes of Israel and then split off, and, and they actually retained the name Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the southern group, which followed the largest tribe of Judah, at least this is, again, how the, how how the, the Old, Old Testament, Testament narratives it, right? or the Hebrew Bible narratives uh, put it, uh, they, they take the name of Judah in the southern kingdom after the, uh, after the largest tribe there, and they follow the Davidic king. The northern kingdom of Israel gets ultimately deported and exiled over a period of about 200 years they they get whittled down to a very small core and eventually uh that core as well is is destroyed and 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 uh 
the more important parts of that that people group are deported by the Assyrians and scattered around the Assyrian Empire, uh, and then the Assyrians, according to the biblical record, bring in some outsiders uh, as well to manage that that land, which was something that that Assyrians we have some evidence of doing in other areas as well. So uh, then you have the Jews themselves, who come from Judah thus the name Jew, Right. Uh, they get exiled to Babylon, and then many Jews return from Babylon, although many stay in the diaspora. But uh, the, the key point here is that you have two different groups. You have Israel, the north, and Judah, the south, that comprise all Israel, all 12 tribes. And the prophets uh, in the time leading up to uh, these catastrophic uh, deportations keep proclaiming, you know, Adonai is angry with his people and, you know, we have disobeyed and so this is going to be punishment and they will be scattered and so, you know, Adonai is going to scatter his people. But eventually, all 12 tribes will be restored to this idyllic uh, obedience to Adonai, to, to, to the God of Israel. The God of Israel will restore his people from the four corners of the earth for, from wherever they've been scattered will reunite the tribes and restore them to their land and so on. This is great uh, because we have had to summarize that exact information like a million times when we were going through the Old Testament. <laughs> and it was so yeah. great to hear someone else have to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so so basically that's that's what's kind of expected is that, that, that Adonai is going to bring back his people. And his people are more than just Jews. It's all Israel, which comprises both northern and southern kingdoms. And so when you see then in the second temple period, you see Jews are discussed quite a bit and it's about the present people. Mm. And then you see you you see discussions of Israel, which occurs in prayer language in discussions about in, in language talking about the, the, the eschatological future or stuff talking about uh, the past. You don't really hear people talking about Israel in present terms all that often. In fact, in the second temple period, when you said Israel, most people would have thought that you were talking about the Samaritans who claimed to be Israelites, but didn't identify as Jews because they weren't from Judah. So when you get to Paul, the interesting question is he believes that the, that the, uh, that the uh, Messiah has come, the, you know, the the anointed one who is, uh, who was going to bring about Israel's restoration has come. But then you have to ask the question of, well, yeah, then what about, you know, the Israel thing, like restoring, like he was supposed to, like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. And Paul's conclusion and his argument, and he's not the only one, I think, in early Christianity, but he's he's the one with that we've got the most evidence from. He argues that Israel was intermarried. This is this is the the sum thesis of my dissertation. Israel was intermarried among the nations when they were exiled, and, or et they intermarried themselves among the nations, and they essentially lost their ethnic uh, their ethnic distinction, their ethnic identity, such that. As it says in Hosea, they have become not my people. That is, Israel, the most of the northern kingdom, intermarried and became essentially Gentiles. Hence, hence the ten lost tribes, quote unquote. Right, exactly. So uh, the only way for God to promise his or to fulfill his promises to his people Israel and restore all twelve tribes is to bring in Gentiles in unity with Jews, and there you have all twelve tribes. Re- regathered and restored and in the process God is also saving Gentiles by that very action so that's essentially what I see 
Paul arguing in his letters, and it explains why he does what he does with the Gentiles while claiming it's all about Israel's salvation and restoration as well. That is so interesting. We have been so curious about what's why is he so obsessed with Gentiles? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is something that would never have occurred to us in a million years. That's true. Um, you no, know, it's uh, it took me a while as well. And actually, the 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 moment that it really dawned on me was when I was reading uh, Genesis forty eight. Actually, at one point, uh, this was while I was an undergraduate, or I think it was I think it was my last year of undergraduate work or my first year of master's work. I was reading Genesis forty eight, and I got to the place where Jacob goes to bless the two children of of uh, of Joseph. Mm-hmm. And he crosses his hands, and Joseph protests, and he says, no, 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 this one's the older one. You put your right hand on his head. And he says, oh, I know, son, I know. He, too, will become a great people, and, you know, he, he, will, he will have many descendants. But his brother, speaking of Ephraim, who become, mm-hmm. which becomes the, the chief tribe of the northern kingdom, his brother will be greater than he, and his seed will become, and then when you read it in Hebrew, it says, the fullness of the nations. Malohagoyim. Hmm. So it's, you know, he says his seed will become Maloha Goim, the fullness of the nations. And I, when I got to that and I realized, wait a second, that's what that says in Hebrew? It, 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 I just stopped all of a sudden because I already knew Romans 11, 20, 25, where Paul says, well, see, you got to understand, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery that, lest you be wise in your own eyes, that, that a, a, a hardening of part of Israel has to happen or, you know, has to take place uh, until the fullness of the nations come in. And then in this way, all Israel will be saved. And I went, wait, fullness of the nations. And so I started digging around. It's the only place it's used in the Bible, other than when Paul says that in, in Romans. So I started searching a little bit more on what Paul's doing here and concluded that he's actually making a case that Ephraim's seed did become the fullness of the nations. They intermarried with the nations. So you have to bring the nations in to get Ephraim's seed. And uh, there's a number of other things that then start to make sense. A lot of other references that he makes that start to make a lot of sense once you actually start reading through that paradigm. Wow. Can you give us a couple other of those examples? Well, I mean, uh, one I mentioned earlier is from uh, from Hosea. Uh, in Hosea, it says, uh, you are not my people and I am not your God, right? Yes. And this is speaking, Hosea is, of course, speaking to, and I think you guys have already gone through Hosea, mm-hmm. correct? Hosea is speaking to whom? Oh, no. I didn't. His... Um, <laughs> His, his children, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, he uses his wife and his children as an example. You know, yeah. again, in Hosea, the idea is that, you know, his wife likes to step out on him. And, you know, she, she has his, she has the first child with him. And then the text says, and then she conceived and bore another child. But it doesn't say it's his. Right, right, right. And by the last child, he names it not mine. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And like uh, unloved. Lo ami. <laughs> or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Unloved is one. And then not mine is the third one. Like, <laughs> How do you like that to be your name? <laughs> but um, but uh, daddy says I'm not his. But anyway, um, what what he does is Hosea is preaching. He's he's prophesying in the northern kingdom, and he's telling mm. the people of Samaria and of the northern kingdom, "You are not my people, and I am not your God. And I'm going to send the Assyrians in to scatter you, and you will be no more. Of course. You're not going to be my people. And then, of course, you have the very you have the prophecy that Paul quotes himself uh, in an extended quote in, in Romans 9, where it says, but one day I will say to those who are not my people, my people, once again. Well, uh-huh. what once you see this from 
the uh, from what Paul seems to be doing with some of this other stuff, you go, wait a second, not my people. He just reads not my people as equals Gentiles. Of course, Gentiles are not God's people. That's the definition of it. Mm-hmm. So Israel becomes Gentiles and then Gentiles become Israel once again as a, as though it were a resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul was raised as a Pharisee. Was this um, sort of standard Pharisee eschatology or is he like pioneering this on his own? Uh, that's a little tricky because we don't actually have a whole lot of evidence about what what, uh, what, you, what you're calling Pharisee eschatology. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, that may be a totally you know, incorrect what, term. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, we don't have any real direct evidence from people who call themselves Pharisees at all. We have the we have uh, the New Testament perspectives on the Pharisees, which are obviously uh, somewhat biased. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Paul as the one Pharisee we have any any writings from, uh, and he actually continues to call himself a Pharisee. He doesn't regard himself as a former Pharisee. He says, "I am a Pharisee." Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's all we have. Now we do have things like the uh, the Psalms of Solomon, which are a lot. According to a lot of scholars, a lot of scholars think that the the Psalms of Solomon, which are a uh, an, uh, an apocryphal or pseudepigraphal work, uh, the pseudepigraphal is a fancy name for for talking about something written book. in the name of someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 written in a pseudonym. It's written as though they these are Psalms written by Solomon. But they're clearly written from the the late Second Temple period, probably around the first century, turn of the first century uh, CE. Uh, a few of them probably from just before the the, the turn of the eras, uh, and that some uh, many scholars think actually does reflect Pharise- uh, Pharisaic authorship. And in that, we do see uh, some expectation of the full restoration of Israel from among the nations. We see uh, this expectation of uh, the nations being cast down. We see an expectation of this all being done through the coming of a Davidic Messiah. So in that sense, and, and the thing is, these things are so much in the air, not just among Pharisees, but, but throughout Second Temple Jewish literature, that I don't think there's any way that Paul is not basically internalizing this from the time he's a child as a part of his not just Pharisaic, but just overall upbringing as a, as a Jew in the second temple period, Mm -hmm. he's expecting Israel's restoration at some point in some way that's going to match along with these basic ideas. The thing that I think is the innovation that happens with early Christianity is this idea that Israel is not going to be discovered from, you know, in, in, uh, in, uh, fourth Ezra, you have this idea of, they, they, they're across the uh, they're across this river out at the ends of the earth and that you know they've maintained themselves and they've maintained their purity and they're they're lost out there but they can't get back until you know God does his action but eventually they'll be brought back but you know they're they're not intermarried in in, in that sense mm-hmm. I think the 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 innovation that happens in early Christianity is this this concept of actually they they, they basically have ethnically disappeared they're not distinct anymore and to read that literally in Hosea and some other places and say but you know what God can raise from these stones children of Abraham and the blood is still there the blood is still among you know Israelite blood has been intermingled and mixed 
And in fact, God can purify that which was made impure before. And so Israel can be restored even from that. I think that is the the big innovation that Paul has here. And I don't think it's just Paul, like I said, but he's the one that makes the primary arguments for it. And I think the rest of it is fundamentally just Jewish eschatology from the second temple period. I don't think he's really altering a whole lot other than that. It's just where does Jesus fit in? And where are we in the timetable? And the, the how of it has changed, not the what. Hmm. So where does Jesus fit in? For Paul, Jesus is the, uh, is the one who has established, uh, who has set in motion the, uh, the restoration of Israel. He's the one who has set in motion the end of the age of Israel's exile and, and punishment under the law by finally submitting himself to uh, to the full punishment of the law, though not being guilty, according to Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, since not being guilty, he has, he has become a curse himself. Now he has the authority to send his spirit because, and this is where for Paul, the resurrection is actually the proof that Jesus was the righteous one, right? Because death is the punishment for sin. So if he comes back from the dead, then sin couldn't hold him. Therefore, it's proof that he's the righteous one. And if he's the righteous one, then God has given him the authority to make the rest of his people righteous using you know, authority to, to pour out his own spirit to make the rest of his people righteous. And that's the step that needs to happen for Israel to be restored mm-hmm. because Israel can't be restored if Israel's unrighteous. That's the issue. Got the it. prophets keep coming back to this. Why did you do. end up in exile? Well, because you were bad. They do come up. <laughs> and if, uh, many if you get times. brought back before you're before that's fixed, you ain't going to, you know, it's not going to fix anything. Right? right. You have to fix the, the internal problem and then the rest of it will match. And I think that's where Paul thinks things are is Jesus has has sent his spirit to fix the internal problem and the rest of it's just going to follow from there. Excellent. Amazing. So. This episode is about Second Thessalonians. Um, from our very, of course, amateur reading of the Bible, uh, Second Thessalonians seems like a place where Paul goes into more detail than usual about eschatology in specific. Um, does that play any role in your argument? Well, first of all, do you think Paul actually wrote it? Because I know there's some controversy <laughs> there. Um, and if so, does it play a role in your argument at all? So... Uh... Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because uh, about that the critical scholarship's divided pretty close to fifty fifty right. on on uh, on Second Thessalonians on whether Paul wrote it or not, uh, and uh, you know my advisor Bart my, uh, Bart Ehrman, uh, who is the chair hey, of my dissertation committee. We love Bart Ehrman um, on this show. We talk about him all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Bart, Bart's 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 terrific. Uh, I, I was very very fortunate to have him as uh, as as an advisor. Uh, one day, if I uh, get the chance to uh, advise graduate students, I will uh, do my best to imitate uh, Bart's approach on that. He's, he's terrific. <laughs> That's so good. Um, I'm so glad that you have positive things to say about him. Otherwise, my heart would be broken. I'd be like, what? He's mean? No. <laughs> no, he's, he's far from it. He's, he's delightful. Um, and, you know, but anyway, uh, Bart thinks, you know, he's, he's dead set. He thinks that Second Thessalonians is, is pseudo-Pauline, that it's not by Paul. Uh, I've come to exactly the opposite conclusion, and we've gone back and forth on this uh, over the years. I do think it's by Paul, but it doesn't actually come into my larger argument. I see. Uh, so I think it plugs in. I think it, you know, it can interface with my argument. I think once 
my reading of, of Paul and other letters is, is, is established, then you can come to second Thessalonians and go, Oh yeah, that makes sense from that perspective too. But, uh, one of the things that I was careful to do in doing my, my dissertation is to focus really on the, uh, the, the, the letters that are undisputed uh, mm-hmm. among scholars as as Pauline uh, because if you're not making making your case really strongly from there then you're all, you're already losing a lot of the a lot of your force because there's going to be people that are going to come in going to come in and say well yeah well you're you're depending about 25 percent on second Thessalonians here and I don't think it's Pauline so I'm just going to dismiss what you have to say yeah um but I do think it's by Paul, and there are a couple reasons for that. Uh, the, the the primary reason is that I think the reason for its rejection by those who think that it's that it's non-Pauline uh, depend largely on a misinterpretation or a misreading of First Thessalonians. Hmm. So uh, the primary reason that it's rejected by most scholars is that there is a perceived uh, disconnect between the eschatological theology of Second Thessalonians versus First Thessalonians. So in First Thessalonians, Paul says, uh, you know, about the times and seasons, uh, siblings, you have no need for me to write you, right? Because you yourselves already know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then in Second Thessalonians, what do you get? You get this whole concept of timetabling or, you know, these are events that have to happen before it comes. So, you know, until this stuff has happened, then, you know, it's not going to happen. Well, then how does that work with coming like a thief, right. right? So that's the that's the biggest issue in all of this is that perceived disconnect. And I think it depends on a misreading of 1 Thessalonians 5. Because what he says is, verse 2, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, if we stop there, then yeah, we might have a, a contradiction. But here's the difference. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, the next verse while they are saying, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they won't escape. But you, siblings, are not in darkness, so the day shouldn't overtake you like a thief. Verse 5 4. Yes, we Because about you're this all children week. of light and children of day. We're not of night nor of darkness, so let's not sleep like others do, but let's be alert and sober. So. The implication of, of 1 Thessalonians 5 is it's going to come like a thief in the night to everybody except for the insiders. The insiders are going to know it's coming, which is what Second Thessalonians 2 seems to indicate. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think those things go together, and I think a lot of the other arguments in terms of style and some of those things are much less persuasive if they're not anchored by a theological difference. And the other reason, frankly, that, that Second Thessalonians has been rejected is if you go back to the earliest people who questioned its authenticity— they were embarrassed by its apocalypticism. These are, you know, German uh, German Lutherans, in lar- mostly in the 19th century, but these are German Lutherans who really don't want to consider that Paul is basically a wild-eyed apocalyptic Jew. Hmm. So that's crazy. That's not real Paul. That's Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> why would you not want? Not to? for them. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Not if you read Harnack and some of these others and, and before him. I mean, you go back and you read these old German lives of Jesus, and they come to a Jesus who looks an awful lot like themselves. I mean, that's right. the criticism of, uh, of Albert Schweitzer in, uh, in his famous Quest of the Historical Jesus, where he shows that all of this work on establishing who the historical Jesus was before him, if you just looked at the, the person writing the book and you d- wrote a biography of that person, 
you'd pretty you'd come pretty close to approximating the Jesus that they wound up with in their own studies. Damn. So it's a good insight. It's a, it's a brilliant book, and it's a brilliant critique of basically everybody who came before. He's like, yeah, that's great. You guys are coming up with this historical Jesus who just looks like you. You've looked down, and he's got this image. You've he looked down. He loves a beer hall. He loves well some later hosen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The scriptural defenses you've for looked- that are strong. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, he says you've looked down the long well of history and you just see your own face staring back at you. Um, And so, you know, that seems to be the idea. But anyway, Second Thessalonians, I think, has largely been rejected or was largely rejected initially by people who didn't like its particular brand of apocalypticism and thought it was, eh, you know, uncomfortably apocalyptically Jewish. Mm. Uh, And I think Paul was an apocalyptic Jew like Jesus. So... I'm not uncomfortable with that. Right. So so that's the long answer on why I, I think it is Pauline. Um, as for how it connects with my larger idea of Paul's uh, eschatology, like I said, I didn't spend too much time in the dissertation interacting with it, but I do think that the overall, overall picture here uh, is, again, geared toward... He, he's interpreting, for the most part, uh, Daniel 9, this idea of the end of the 77s, uh, the end of the age mm-hmm. uh, in which Israel is is awaiting its restoration. And how is that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen this way. And he, he lays out more or less a timetable of how that's going to work, or not exactly a timetable, but a, a procession of events that's going to, uh, to form the way that that's going to work before the day of the Lord, when the Lord finally fixes everything and, and brings it all to a close. So I think that fits more or less of a piece in that kind of that kind of mindset. Well, that's all the questions we have. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> brilliant and exhaustive. <laughs> um, not exhausting, <laughs> just exhaustive. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. We spend a bunch of time talking about this stuff, but we don't know what we're talking about at all. <laughs> so it's really amazing to actually talk to somebody that does. It always is. Uh, so thank you. We really appreciate you sharing your insight and. Uh, scholarship. Well, this was really fun, guys. I'm, I, I appreciate the invitation. I'll be happy to to join you for anything in the future. Awesome. So where can people find you uh, and your work online? Uh, the easiest place is uh, my, uh, my, my webpage, uh, my website, which is uh, jasonstaples.com. Uh, basically, that serves as a hub for uh, lots of other things, although I probably should do a better job keeping up with, you know, linking that to other work and all that. But generally speaking, uh, that's the that's the best place to go. Uh, I also have uh, two Twitter accounts. <laughs> one is more of the uh, one academic. One work, one person. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the academic and uh, personal one, at uh, Jason Staples. And then if you are interested in the sports side, since I've, uh, wor- I, I work as, uh, as uh, I moonlight as a coach and also uh, do uh, a good bit of uh, sports media stuff, I've got another one. Uh, at Doc Staples for for that, but uh, I'm guessing most of the listeners on this one are going to lean more towards at Jason Staples. Those are, <laughs> those are the, the easiest uh, easiest places to to find me online. Don't underestimate our listeners. We might have some some more Bible jocks in mm-hmm. there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks again, and uh, we will see you around on the internet. Thanks, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Bye. I think that means there's only one thing left to do, which is to rate this book. Rate this book. How would you rate this book? Rate this book. Um, I'm going to give it eh, three out of six powerful angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 
don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. <laughs> uh, I don't like that one verse that means we all have to be capitalists or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know if it's Paul or not. Uh, sure learned some interesting stuff from our guest, Jason Staples. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, but eh. Mm-hmm. Give it a huh. Yeah. Give it a huh. Very, well, very much along those same lines. I'm going to give it a four out of nine lawless ones. Um, it's brief. There's no rants about circumcision. No rants about circumcision. That's a plus or a minus. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of miss it when it's gone. <laughs> you never thought you'd say that, did you? Well, about I mean, that's what they say about circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's all I have to say about this. All right, then let's just uh, dive right in the mailbag. Yeah, let's cool off. But heat wave, California. <laughs> splash into the mailbag. Uh, listener Matthew sent us an email about the uh, extremely scientific astrology facts from our Colossians episode two weeks ago. Which we verified with the Lord above. And scientists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Matthew uh, Matthew's email included a link to the Chris Christopherson song, Jesus Was a Capricorn, uh, which we have now definitively disproven. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, since we've now uh, officially established beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was born on December 22nd, Matthew pointed out that the winter solstice, of course, happens between December 21st and 23rd. Um, so, and of course, that's what Christmas was adapted from. Mm-hmm. So, there you have it. It all comes together. It just makes sense. Science, uh, facts, and uh, true stuff. Mm-hmm. Science facts or science friction. That's what I say. <laughs> Um, it doesn't mean anything. I just say it. Probably at mostly wildly inappropriate times. <laughs> You're just like, hey, hey, bus driver, science friction. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, mm-hmm. stay behind the yellow yeah, line, stay sir. Stay behind the yellow line. <laughs> Our listener Jason sent us a very kind email, including some bonus misogynistic Bible-inspired art that is on display at the Walters Museum in Baltimore, in which... Quote, not only is Eve evil enough to trick Adam into eating the forbidden fruit, she's actually the evil serpent herself. It's a very strange image. (laughs) It's a snake with the Eve head. Mm -hmm. He also sent us a sweet angel dog named Moose who has passed on but still needs a blessing. So here's a blessing for Moose. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your heart and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You're a good boy, Moose. Good dog. That is the end of Sunday School Dropouts for tonight. We're delighted that you joined us. And we expect you back next week at the same time, or you're getting a markdown on your attendance sheet. Sorry. <laughs> and you're fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Sunschool Drop. Same deal on Facebook. You can follow Lauren on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled like Shaquille does it. And you could follow uh, Nico's music at NicoBakulich.com. That's N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H.com. <laughs> if you want to be uh, a real nice, cool one, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show and lets the greater world know that you have impeccable taste. Impeccable. Mm-hmm. Impeccable taste. That's unpickleable taste. Uh, and also we're like five reviews away from making Nico join Twitter. Mm-hmm. We're like real close. So. Yeah, it's a goal for some reason. <laughs> um, we want to th- 
Thank, as always, Elise Carlton for our logo and original art. And I always thank Nico for sound engineering, music, and editing skills. There's still a bunch more Bible to go, so we'll be back next week, everybody. We will see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye.